You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of Brooklyn.com and longtime voice of podcast, Frank Madden. As we are going to talk about some of the other teams in the East, because there's been a lot of talk in the news about the Sixers recently, their struggles. We've spoken about them being 7 11 on the road. Uh, they don't seem to be happy with each other. There's a lot of talk in, in the media about uh, MB today, was talking about Simmons. Well, we're going to assume he was talking about Simmons' uh, lack of willingness to shoot the outside shot. Uh, and then we're going to look at some of the other teams and see where we think uh, the Bucks fit and where all these other matchups, potential matchups in the playoffs uh, fit for Milwaukee because, you know, seeding is going to become very interesting. We know there's been some talk about potential second-round matchups. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it could potentially get interesting if what we thought at the start of the season in terms of who were the two clear teams, it doesn't pan out that way. So I'm also going to have Justin Garcia come in for the back half of this podcast, and we're going to preview the doubleheader against the Spurs on Saturday and also Monday night. So I'm going to jump straight in with Frank. He's going to start talking about the Sixers, and we're going to work our way through Boston, Miami, all the other challenges to the Bucks for the East. This is the challenge of, of an 82-game season um, and, you know, having, uh, again, the, the infrastructure. A team like the Bucks obviously, I think, has that infrastructure that night in and night out. Um, you know, uh, you know, know kind of how guys slide in. Everybody knows their role. Uh, and for whatever reason, the Sixers just, they just, they just have not found sort of that night to night consistency, obviously. And we've seen them be very good at times. Obviously Christmas day was probably the best they can be. Uh, I think by their own admission, I think Brett Brown more or less said that, to that effect. Um, and, um, you know, not getting enough from, again, they, they have, they have a bunch of good players. I mean, it's not like, again, they, they maybe don't have great depth on the bench, but, um, you know, that starting lineup, you know, Al Horford, who just kind of made some comments that seemed <laughs> kind of whiny about his role. He's two out of 12 with five points here, uh, midway through the fourth of this game. Obviously this is a game where you think, oh, no Embiid. Great. Al Horford's your starting center, but, um, actually Kyle Quinn has started alongside him. So. I don't know. Sixers are just a tough team to figure out. And um, I don't know, to be honest, it's a little weird, right? I mean, the East right now, um, I would say has, you know, is, we kind of need to, I think a lot of people have gotten so reflexively um, condescending toward the East over the years, but you have six very good teams, right? Right now it's the Bucks, Celtics, Heat, Raptors, Sixers, Pacers in that order in the, in the standings. Uh, but I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting because there's going to be a really good team in the five slot and I think a good team in the six slot. You know, Brooklyn, I think, is respectable there in the seven slot. 
um, there's going to be a good team um, and possibly a team that you don't want to face <laughs> that might half. be coming out of that. Yeah. Out of that four or five. I mean, right now the four or five matchup is the Raptors and Sixers. Uh, and if you're the bucks, you know, obviously knock on wood, you maintain your current pace. You hopefully run away with that first seed. You're going to have home court, which is great, right? We talked about the Sixers. I mean, they're 7-10, seven and ten, seven, about to be 7-11 seven seven, seven, seven now after today on the road. Um, so home court, I think, first seems like it matters against the Sixers. But, again, I'd say you would much rather face, you know, an Indiana uh, or a Toronto in that second round than have to face the Sixers. So in a weird way, I guess I'm, like, rooting for the Sixers to finish in, like, the two or three seed um, so that you don't have to face them till the finals. Cause I do think they are the most talented team um, and, and just present some challenges in a seven game series that the other teams don't, but I don't know what, let me put you on the spot. If, if you could sort of let's let, let again, let's be presumptuous and assume the bucks have taken hold on to that one slot. Who do you want in that, those two, three, four slots in the East sort of thinking about, um, you know, who would you want to face in the second round out of those, let's say those top six teams, and who would you want to avoid? To me, I, again, I would probably want to avoid um, Philly. And again, these teams might make trades as well, but I don't know. I might want to avoid Philly and Boston. Yeah. Um, I think there's an argument, obviously, for the Heat as well. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, and take nothing away from Toronto. They've been really good, even with a ton of injuries. They're playing without a bunch of guys right now. Yeah, I I think I'm probably with you. Like, uh, I don't know if um would be you know, totally worried about losing a, a series to the Celtics. But I will say if they can get Gordon Haywood healthy, then they just have a lot of options for guys that can hurt you on any given night, which I think in itself is kind of scary because it's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Tatum and Haywood have an off night, but maybe it's Jalen Brown that like goes uh, gets off the hook. And then Kimball Walker. So they have four legitimate guys that right now are showing that they can get you 30 points. And there's just not that many teams in the league that have that. So uh, I think from that point of view, the Celtics could be a little bit scary because you only need, again, one or two of those guys on each night to, to get hot and then you're going to be right in the game. And the Sixers just, just matchup-wise. This isn't so much to do with, with Christmas Day because, again, I mean, we spoke about that. I mean, uh, they're not going to hit 21 threes over the, uh, per game over the course of the series. And I think the, the interesting thing that we spoke about that game is how well or how efficiently the other guys scored that weren't named Giannis. <laughs> like it was, it was a crazy box score to look at. So the two and three, yeah, Philly and Boston for mine would be the ideal situation. But right now it's just interesting because you can't really trust Philly because, uh, you know, you mentioned Embiid didn't play tonight. This time it was a knee. I mean, he's always sick. We talk about that, whether he's actually sick or it's something else, but he's injury prone and uh, they're, they're just struggling on the road. I mean, 7-11 and 11 on the road is, is a team that you would expect that would be uh, around 500. And the fact they're 16-2 and two at home is obviously bumping that record up. They'll be, I think, 23-13 and 13 after, after this loss to Indiana. But... I just don't know if I trust them to even get up to that uh, two or three spot, particularly with the way that I think Miami is just going to be a team that's going to be pretty consistently good. Uh, I think the interesting thing about them is how many young guys uh, are playing so well. And they are eventually going to get to a point where they're playing more games than they've ever played before. And then you, you tack on playoffs on top of that. So that's probably why uh, I think Miami at the moment are not quite on that level with those two teams. But of course, they're, they're spoken about trades all the time. So maybe there's a move there for the Heat coming. And then uh, the Pacers, we don't really know. I mean, you, we speak about the injuries for Philly, but Brogdon has left this game 
uh, today with a back injury again. He's already missed games with a back, with a hamstring. I think he missed one with a knee as well. I mean, he's all, he's always there's something. There's, he's always injured. I don't know. So I, I I don't know. Even if they get all Oladipo back, I'm not sure what to think about the paces. But it's interesting. The second round is potentially scary when you project ahead. So uh, games like these are, are interesting to watch when when those teams are playing each other. And then yeah, that that game in early Feb at home against the Sixers will be will be one to watch. But uh, what else you got, Frank? Any final thoughts before we sign off for this year? Yeah, yeah. Interesting with um, the Heat um, point differential wise. I think they are uh, fifth, even though they're third uh, in in the East right now. Um, they are six and zero in overtime games this season. Last yeah, year, no team right. won more than five overtime games. The Heat are already six and zero in OT games this season, which is just pretty remarkable. Obviously, the Bucks. Uh, were the victim of, I guess, the first one uh, in that that first home game that the Bucks blew that lead and lost in OT, uh, and Philly the latest here uh, over last weekend, uh, also losing in overtime. So Miami, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, they are more uh, in the kind of uh, Sixers uh, kind of league. They're fifteen and one at home, nine and eight on the road. So not as bad as Philly on the road, but. Um, you know, have been a team that has been more pedestrian on the road. Unfortunately, Bucks <laughs> already blew their chance to uh, hold court uh, or hold serve at home uh, in that first home game. But uh, yeah, and I think the East is is shaping up to be a really, really interesting conference. And um, you know, as much as I would say the Lakers and and Dallas, I think have been pleasant surprises in the West. You know, I think overall, uh, you look at the two conferences. I mean it's pretty remarkable how much they mirror each other in terms of, you know, for the most part, one team being, I'd say has established itself as kind of clearly the class of the conference. Uh, but then, you know, really there are about six teams that are all, you know, very good, have uh, very similar records. Uh, Utah and, and Indiana came into today with the same record, 21 and 12 and the sixth spot in both conferences. And then uh, the next team down is right around 500, the Nets and, and Thunder. And then after that, it's just a whole bunch of teams, that are, you know, just trying to get close to 500, the Magic 14, 19 in the eight seed, uh, the Spurs 13 and 18 in the eight seed in the West. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say no longer can you, uh, you know, just kind of treat uh, treat the East like second class citizens. And obviously, <laughs> you know, the fact that the Bucks continue to uh, continue to roll, um, you know, says a lot about obviously uh, how good they've been 20 and three uh, against the East, 10 and two against the West. Yeah, and that's where that record against below 500 teams that you mentioned right at the top will be important because uh, I do think uh, the other thing to note is we've already spoken about the Sixers being good at home, but all these teams are playing really at home, really well at home. Boston have a great record at home, Miami as well. So, uh, you know, this is where home court might really play a factor. And I just think, you know, if you can lock up that, uh, that game one, in Milwaukee the whole way through, you're going to put yourself in, in the best possible position against these teams where there might be some more difficult series. Uh, of course, you know, it's funny to think back last year and the Boston one uh, you know, looked like it was going to be a difficult series and they lose game one and you think you're really in for it and it turned out being, uh, you know, what do you, what, what's that called? Is that the, that's not the gentleman's sweep. That's the, what are those guys called? Is, is that the douchebag sweep where you like give up the first game and then win the next four? Yes, I believe, I believe the starters, I don't know if that was Tass yeah. or, or who, or Trey, or somebody came up with the, the idea of the douchebag <laughs> sweep. I, I just remember the Raptors had a douchebag sweep of the uh, of the Magic last year, right yeah. when they lost that first game. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I again, I, 
home court, I, you know, when you're like talking about the Warriors, yeah. Can a team like the Warriors, you know, kind of cruise through the regular season and then believe that, yeah, we're still going to win no matter where game sevens might be. Sure. Right. But I think again, when it's, it's the team that you care about <laughs> that you're talking about and you're talking about like the bucks and obviously just, you know, especially looking at a team like Philly, how home dependent they've been. I, I give, give me home court. I'll, I'll, I'll take home court gladly. And again, it, it changes the dynamic. I think having to, you know, feeling like you have to win both of the first two games, I think adds some pressure, yeah. um, which you don't have when you're starting on the road. But again, you know, ultimately you've got, you've got that extra game uh, that you're going to have at home. And I think, you know, everybody obviously would value that in a game seven scenario. All right, now we're going to bring in a regular on the podcast, Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network, ESPN Milwaukee, and uh, wherever else you listen to your Bucks stuff, his voice is probably all over it. Justin, it was good to catch up with you last night, and uh, we weren't speaking from across the world, which uh, felt like uh, felt pretty good. Back back like old times at, at Fireside Forum, but uh, thanks for taking the time to jump on yet again. Yeah, it took some time to get used to uh, communication in person. <laughs> I know. I actually it was funny. I did a um, I did a radio thing this morning with BJ and and Brian Butch down at uh, down in Oshkosh, and uh, I, it was it was weird for me. I actually nearly slept in. I know I shouldn't admit that, but I was so used to talking to those guys at around midnight uh, back home that uh, I I knew that I had to do it today, but I completely forgot that that meant that I was actually doing morning radio. So I, I don't know. We're all getting used to this. It's that time of year. Yeah, well, it is uh, for the Bucks are just about ready to go on the road, actually. So they're going to have the Spurs here in back-to-back games. And we should talk about this a little bit. The Spurs, such a weird team uh, this season to watch and, and a little bit last year as well, although they were able to make a, a bit of a late-season push last year. But 14 and 18 at the moment. I've actually watched uh, a fair bit of the Spurs, probably just because uh, they're on TV so much in Australia because of Patty Mills. But... Uh, I mean, twelfth uh, in offense, nineteenth in defense. Uh, they don't shoot threes. They're dead last in the league for three uh, point attempts per game at around twenty six. And then they're twenty fourth in the league for points in the paint. They don't score in the paint either. This is a team that lives in the mid range. Popovich is coaching a, a really old school style of uh, basketball, and uh, the results haven't been great so far, which is still kind of weird to see. I mean, it's not uh, like a revolutionary take, but it, it still is just so strange to see the Spurs not only struggling, but, uh, you know, Popovich was basically the innovator of spacing and pace. And we didn't see the Spurs jack up as many threes as you're seeing now with the teams like the Rockets and Warriors have taken to the next level. But it, it's just so strange to see this team kind of stuck behind the times when for the longest time they were setting the trend. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, even if you think back to the World Cup, and this was, I, I know that there was some uh, criticism of, of the fact that, that Brooke Lopez was picked in that Team USA squad anyway, and uh, I, I only understand that if people are arguing that because of the fact that Lopez is not a, a, a Popovich uh, guy, I guess, with the way that he plays and the way that Bud uh, has utilized him. And it is crazy to think that, that Bud spent so much time in San Antonio. And now you look at the way uh, that, that the Bucks are playing compared to the, to the Spurs. And the, as you said, the pace and space that the Bucks play with, it's all predicated around giving Giannis as much room 
to work as possible. And and this Spurs lineup, I mean, you look at their three of their main scorers, DeMar DeRozan, averaging 0.6 three-point attempts per game, lives in the mid-range, still averaging over 20 points a game, but uh, he's not your typical scorer in this modern-day basketball. He's just not. And LaMarcus Aldridge, the other guy, he's up around 20 points per game. He's only taken two threes a game himself and he's someone that his whole career right back to the days in Portland was someone uh, that that liked those post-ups sort of fade away uh, mid-range shots which is which is kind of interesting because you know when you talk about uh, all the all the um, talk about Pazingas in the news recently and post-ups and they should post him on more similar type guys obviously Pazingas is, is a lot bigger but Kristaps uh, is a guy that has stepped out beyond the three-point arc which is uh, you know creating a really, really dangerous offense in Dallas. And, and the Spurs just haven't been able to do that. And then the third veteran guy that they got, Rudy Gay, uh, again, a really similar player. He does shoot from the outside a little bit more than the others, but uh, just some real mid-90s style offensive guys there that uh, it's, it's creating just a, a weird fit in that team. Well, the funny thing is two of those names we have seen come up a lot recently, or at least more recently yeah. in trade talk. And a few people linking that to the Bucks as well. Uh, how in the world does DeMar DeRozan's mid-range game, and even Rudy Gay is another guy that I don't think people realize how much he camps out in the mid-range as much as he does. These are guys that, you know, they may help your second unit and give you scoring there, but they're not going to fit in most offenses across the league. No, they aren't. And, they, and that's why I, I actually think it, it's going to be tough for the Spurs to actually move uh, one of those guys to a good team. I mean, I know I've seen a little bit uh, about Detroit potentially being a, a destination for DeRozan, and that's the type of move I could see. Yeah, I mean that that I, I you know the the Pistons are sort of stuck in that um, zone that really the Bucks were in for a long time and, and been, yeah for a decade basically. Yeah, and and that and that right back then is the type of move. I mean, the, the Bucks and DeRozan have sort of had this weird sort of link with each other. It's not the first time this has been mentioned. And yeah, if this was in 2014, 2013, yeah, sure. I could probably see that, that that, that was a guy that the Bucks would probably go for when they're sort of stuck in that uh, you know, 7 to 10 seed range. And they're like, okay, this guy gets you 20 points a night. Maybe he's someone that can help us win a few playoff games. Maybe try and get out of the first round. I don't know. But I, I don't see any team that is actually contending uh, for a championship looking at a guy like DeMar DeRozan and thinking that that is an attractive option for their, for their team right now. Yeah, and you know, the other interesting thing about the Spurs is uh, it, I can't remember who it was. It may have been Kirk Goldsbury, but talking about the season that the Spurs had last year, because they were in a pretty similar spot. I mean, they were worse off, much worse off earlier this year than they were at any point last year. But they were in a similar spot last year and then eventually made the playoffs where we questioned if that would be the end of the streak. And, um, you know, like I said, I don't remember. I think it was Kirk Goldsbury, but he pointed out how much they lived in the mid-range and how they were extremely elite in one of the best mid-range scoring teams we had seen in a while last year, that this team was probably prime for a regression. And that's what we saw at the beginning of the year, despite the fact that they went through all the injuries they did and they got all those guys like Lonnie Walker and DeJounte Murray back, and they're still going through those struggles. Well, you know what? The, I mean, the craziest thing about this is 
uh, they currently sit in the eighth seed in the yeah, West, <laughs> which is which is just insane to think about. I mean, I've watched this team. I watched them the other night against the Warriors, just really struggling uh, to score. And and the interesting thing about that, the point that you bring up about how uh, sort of efficient they were in the mid range. I mean, again, this is this is these are the type of shots, and we've seen the Bucks give them up intentionally uh, and choose to to give up those shots rather than uh, allow teams to score at the rim. So. I mean, this could be a game, and this is the only thing I would say. It'll be interesting to see what kind of shots the Bucks are willing to give up to the Spurs because, again, we've seen them be susceptible to jump-shooting teams. Uh, the interesting thing will be with the 26 three-point attempts that they do take, uh, is that going to significantly rise against the Bucks, who will be, without doubt, daring them to shoot? We saw this against the Sixers on Christmas Day, who they only averaged 29 three-point attempts per game. The way the Bucks played defense led to them uh, attempting 44 on the night and actually shooting really well. And that is something that, I mean, we, we've seen this ever since Bud's been in. You can give another team a chance from the outside uh, just by the way they are defending. So I, I am curious to see whether the Spurs are a team that, that will bump up those three-point attempts against the Bucks because they know that that's what they're going to give them. And uh, as you look up and down the, the averages for this team, the two guys that actually do shoot them at a high rate, Bryn Forbes is getting up 6.2 a game, and then Paddy Mills comes off the bench. He's always done that. He's going to get his shots in his time. But uh, that's something that I will be looking at. What's even crazier when you bring up the Spurs as the eighth seed, uh, I said before the season there were going to be two teams in the East that made the playoffs with a sub-500 record. Yeah, I'm having a hard time right now not seeing that in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting to look like when you when you look at the standings right now, Portland, who a team who uh, you know I mean conference finals last year, and they had bigger expectations on them coming into this year. They're fourteen and twenty one. We know they've had a lot of injuries, and they're still waiting for Nurkic to come back. Although after such a a serious leg injury, you don't know what you're going to get from him. We know they pulled the trigger on the Camelo Anthony deal, but they're still a team that has Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and I still feel. Uh, at some point in the back end of the season, they're going to win enough games to try and get in there. And they probably look like the biggest threat uh, to the Spurs right now to get in the playoffs. Some of the other teams, the Grizzlies, uh, they're just super young. Phoenix have really fallen off after a hot start. And then you've got the Timberwolves, who we saw, obviously, in Milwaukee last night. But uh, I, I think it's going to be between the Spurs and the Trailblazers. But I just don't think any of those other teams are good enough to win enough games to climb up. And then the Thunder are the team above who are actually playing at a really high level. But yeah, it's, a, it's weird to see some of these teams that have been perennial playoff uh, squads maybe make it this year, but it's not going to be impressive. Yeah, and it, it's, it just points to, and you and I talked about this last night too, that upcoming four-game West Coast trip that the Bucks have where even a year ago, if you looked at those four opponents, you would hope for two and two. And now you look at those four teams and it just shows you how quickly the league changes you're expecting to win all four of those. Yeah, no question. And I, I do think it's always a little bit interesting. So the Bucks will have uh, San Antonio at home on Saturday night, 7.30 Central. And then Monday, uh, they'll have a travel day Sunday. Then Monday, they'll be in San Antonio. And this is always a little interesting. I mean, uh, I think so often these these sort of home and home, even though it's not a back-to-back home and home, it's uh, uh, they're, they're often split. And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how this one plays out. The Bucks obviously would like to get uh, that one at home. And listen, they were a little bit shaky. So we'd like to see them, uh, some other guys outside of Giannis, particularly offensively, be able to get things going. We joked a lot last night about their, their New Year's Day hangover that they appeared to have. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to they're gonna want to bounce back here. Bledsoe, I would expect his minutes were down at around uh, 20 last night. I expect that to keep climbing. I'm interested to see whether West Matthews returns. It sounded like uh, from what Bud was saying pre-game that they're, they're just being extra cautious. So he's in another two or three days here and you would expect uh, he may be returning. But but what are you expecting from the Bucks in this matchup against the Spurs? Because uh, San Antonio, we know how, how frequently the Bucks score in the paint. The Spurs are giving up 63.6% field goal percentage in the restricted area. Uh, that's a high number for a team that's looking to score in there a lot. I, I mean, I would expect... I don't know if I'll go that drastic, but I would expect similar to what we kind of anticipated we would see last night against the Timberwolves because how many times, other than the playoffs, how many times not only this team losing back-to-back, but how many times can you point to under Bud that this team played poorly in consecutive games that you know they were fortunate to win that game against the Timberwolves, and for as many bad things as they did, the defense of George Hill and Brooke Lopez in that final possession saved things that I just feel like after basically laying an egg and still coming away with a victory, this team is going to look a lot different on Saturday night. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, certainly the way that Bud reacted after the game, uh, he was not happy <laughs> with the with the performance. And certainly the guys uh, in the locker room uh, after the game, Giannis and Brooke, both spoke about the fact that uh, they weren't pleased with with uh, the way that they played, the way they executed offensively in particular. So um, even though they won the game, it was almost a, a mini wake-up call for this team, which is kind of strange to say. But they've been winning these games so easily that uh, the, the crunch time situation that they found themselves in uh, was really rare. And it was certainly a positive. Even though it was against this Timberwolves team that was so uh, shorthanded, it was certainly a positive to see the defense stand up uh, late in that game. But yeah, I, I, I somewhat would agree with that. And we've seen the way this team has responded from losses. Even though they got this win, it almost felt like it was, it was a loss for them. Yeah, and, you know, maybe the most interesting thing um, uh, as it relates to the Bucks, and I think you and I kind of touched on this uh, the other day, is I guess we really shouldn't be surprised given how Bud has used his rotations. But being down Wesley Matthews, and it's yet another game where Sterling Brown did not play, that you keep going back to, I don't know if we can really say he's in the doghouse, because we've seen Bud use guys and then not use them for extended periods. But... The last game he played in, there was an interesting sequence where Sterling Brown appeared to be lost on defense. You heard Bud um, yelling instructions to him and immediately pulled him out of the game and went to Pat Connaughton. We haven't seen Sterling Brown since. Yeah, Sterling, Frank mentioned this the other day uh, on the podcast. Sterling has had an interesting season, and I was certainly someone that was, was really high on him coming in. And when you looked at that trio between DJ Sterling and Dante, I, I thought that Sterling... Coming in, been in the league a few years now, I thought maybe he was a guy that could take a step. Uh, he started uh, down the stretch of the regular season last year when obviously Malcolm Brogdon was injured, and we just haven't seen it from him. And to be honest, he hasn't taken the opportunity when he's got it. I mean, uh, you think right back to that first game where he played. He played really well against Orlando on the road uh, way back in, uh, might, have, might have even been late October, early November anyway. Uh, since that time, he struggled to finish at the rim. The three-point percentage has come down. Uh, he's not shooting as well as he was from the corners, certainly uh, through his first few games this season and then uh, towards the end of last year. So uh, at the moment, he certainly does look the, like the guy that's on the outside looking in. And simply by virtue of being healthy, Dante is really, I mean, he has just taken that spot. And even when West comes back, but last night sort of hinted 
that the the starters for this team were uh, definitive and everyone knew who the starting five were. Now, I assume that that means that as soon as Wes is back, he's going to start. I don't think that would surprise anyone. That's what we've seen so far. But the fact that Bud is so quick to go to Dante, uh, you know, now just in his second game, we talk about it all the time, but he's only played around 60 games. Uh, I think it's the pecking order is pretty clear. And Sterling and DJ are the two guys that are on the outside looking in. Yeah, Dante has really played the role that we thought George Hill would play. And, uh, you know, part of that is that Bud just loves George Hill with that second unit. But yeah, Dante yeah. has basically been that swing guy that's been their sixth starter all season long. Yeah, I mean, George, uh, at this point, I, I know uh, from the outside when Bledsoe got injured, I read and, and heard a lot of national stuff that was like, well, George Hill's now going to start. And uh, that was just never going to be the case. I mean, we've seen enough now that, that Bud just loves him coming off the bench. And we, we spoke about it. I mean, he's got to be in the conversation for sixth man of the year at the moment. Obviously, uh, that's generally a scorer's award, but uh, uh, he has to be in the conversation. He's played at such a high level. And the beauty of the Bucs, I mentioned this last night with Frank, but the beauty of the Bucs is that uh, they, they are comfortable with playing George down the stretch. And that just helps when you bring a guy like Bledsoe back. You're trying to have him on a minutes restriction. You saw him last night uh, sit out the last five, six minutes. Bud went with George Hill, who obviously then came up with the, def- the, the game-winning defensive denial of Shabazz Napier. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's just a, a hat tip to the depth of this team. And, and Bud mentioned that last night. He said it's a win-win situation with these, the, the ability to ma- uh, manage the minutes of not only the starters, but then keep the guys on the bench prepared, ready for situations. And I don't think it's a coincidence, as we mentioned, that those, the guys that aren't in the rotation right now uh, potentially not quite uh, in the same level of, of trust with Bud as others. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, it's basically what we saw towards the end of the season last year, and we knew coming in that this team would be very deep. But, um, you know, even guys like Dragon Bender, who I'm, I'm sure that will be a big focus for you guys next week and the deadline for his contract, but even guys like Dragon Bender that you know – uh, we saw what he did in the preseason. Granted, that's a different animal. But Dragon Bender would get minutes on almost every other team around the league. And this team has been afforded the opportunity to kind of stash him and just go with who they have, knowing their depth will continue to replace the holes whenever injuries pop up. Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. We'll certainly probably get into that a, a little bit more over the next few days. But uh, Bender, I think, as you sort of hinted to, is a guy that may have some value around the league just as a, as a guy that was such a high draft pick. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's been playing well in the G League. I'm not sure, you know, whether whether that would be enough for the Bucs to say, okay, well, let, let's just keep him around because maybe we can use him in, in another way as a cheap guy, uh, as a filler in a trade. I'm not too sure. I originally thought that um, he was probably the most likely guy to, to not be around. Uh, I mean, Frank spoke about that, that uh, by playoff time, simply because of how easy it's going to be to waive him, the non-guaranteed deal, you don't actually lose a lot from doing that. So it's something to watch with Bender, but uh, he's had a little bit of uh, you know, injury concern over these last few weeks as well, and then just hasn't really played. So, I mean, he's clearly the guy on the outer, and that will be uh, something to watch with him. But uh, before we wrap this up, as I said, Spurs on Saturday night, Spurs on Monday. Any final thoughts on, on, on this game before the Bucs, uh, obviously, play the Spurs at home and then head on the road? Uh, on Saturday, Spurs game, I mean, I, I, I would anticipate a relatively easy win that I think this team is going to come out and look just as we thought we would see them against the Timberwolves. Like I said, I, I can't point to the last time this team played poorly in consecutive games. I mean, even the four straight losses to the Raptors, they didn't really play bad 
in those games and you consider the opponent as well. So you just can't point to it under Bud that I think this team is going to come out and look exactly like we thought we would see against a Timberwolves team that was basically made up of G League players that I would anticipate a relatively easy victory on uh, Saturday. All right. So we are going to leave it there. My first week back in Milwaukee. It was a short week. I took a, I took a couple of days off to uh, get myself adjusted. I feel like finally I spoke about my hangover yesterday and my, uh, my pizza that, that, you know, tried to get me through last night's game against uh, Minnesota. But I feel like I am back now, finally. I feel like uh, I've had enough sleep and I'm feeling good. So next week we'll be able to hit the ground running. But uh, thanks again for jumping on and taking the time. So, wait, so you made it to Rocky Rococo's? Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. We got there, we got there in the afternoon, but uh, just before we headed into Farsev. Was it as uh, everything you anticipated it would be from the build-up from Frank? Well, that's the thing. Frank talked it up so much. I said to him that I was actually pretty hungover, so I would have probably enjoyed any type of uh, food like that. But I, I would be willing to give it another chance. But I know these food takes, are, they're, they're controversial. Like people, you know, I, I don't know. Some people aren't, aren't a fan of that. I mean, there's a lot of controversial takes. The reverse camp take appears to be controversial. Yeah, so yeah. you're just full of them. Yeah. Yeah. I like causing controversy. I'm a, I'm a fan of the reverse cam. I find it entertaining. Like, do I want to be on the reverse cam? No. Um, but I, I, I like it. I, I laugh every time. I think, it, I think it's good stuff. Uh, I'm right there with you. All right. Well, that's, that's good. I always listen. I mean, I, I like if we disagree, but I'm happy to, happy to end this with some reverse cam talk. So like I said, we will be back on Monday before the second of these Spurs games, hopefully talking about another Bucks win as they look to move to 32-5. and five. But for Frank Madden, Justin Garcia, and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.